Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, editor of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to R. Mukund, CEO of Benchmark Digital, about ESG investing and how it can drive change. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by R. Mukund, CEO of Benchmark Digital, and we're going to talk about ESG investing. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Jay. Really um, glad to be here. Glad to have you. And wanted to get started uh, by having you tell me a little bit about yourself and about Benchmark Digital. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I'm the founder CEO of Benchmark Digital. Uh, we rebranded at the end of 2020. Uh, we used to be called Gen Suite. Um, and my own personal background is uh, one of environmental health and safety. I have a PhD in environmental, worked in consulting for a number of years uh, through the 90s, and then uh, joined the General Electric Company in the late 90s as an EHS manager. And in that capacity, I was responsible for the development and deployment of a global EHS uh, digital platform that was used across the businesses in GE. Um, and then in 2020, 2010, I launched uh, GenSuite. Uh, the, the product was, the platform was called GenSuite. So we launched it as GenSuite. It was a solution for primarily environmental health and safety, compliance, operational management, uh, as well as sustainability uh, tracking. Um, and uh, we did that for about 10 years as GenSuite and then rebranded to Benchmark Digital uh, with the Benchmark ESG as our solution platform that we offer globally as a software as a service solution. Excellent. Well, speaking of ESG, let's uh, jump right into it. Uh, and I was wondering if you could tell me what is ESG investing and how can it drive change? So I think, you know, um, ESG obviously is standing more broadly for environmental, social, and corporate governance is essentially, you know, the idea of using non-financial factors uh, that investors can use to judge a management of a company's management on how they're dealing with and maintaining sustainability risks and impacts and ultimately how that sustainability performance affects the company's bottom line. So it's a combination of risk management, uh, for example, with respect to climate change, but also impact in terms of societal in societal values. Um, and obviously big, a big, big driver or big push to ESG came from our experience over the last few years in COVID alone. Uh, but this has been a trend, I think, building on, on environmental health and safety, which was primarily operationally focused taking it more into the public sphere or thinking about stakeholders more broadly. So, um, oh. and I, and I, you know, I, sorry. And I, and I think in terms of how it can drive change, you know, I think really one of the things that we see is that ultimately if you're, if you're really trying to make smart investment decisions, channeling capital towards positive outcomes, especially from a sustainability perspective, it's really about ensuring that we have good data to be able to make those uh, positive decisions. Otherwise, essentially, you you can you 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 can be a, you can be looked at as as having implemented change or indicating that you implemented change without really having a basis or a, or or a really uh, discrete evidence uh, of it. You know, in effect, greenwashing. In fact, we see lots of companies being you know, accused necessarily of. Mm -hmm. Of, of greenwashing, and and part of that is coming from the stemming from the fact that if you don't have a systematic methodology for measuring and assessing uh, your impact and then your improvement, uh, you know, then then the the question is how effectively are you demonstrating that that your your programs and your operations are sustainable? 
Yeah, and, and you know, speaking of data, how would you describe the quality of companies' sustainability performance data right now? I mean, there's a lot, lot of things to collect, but um, obviously not all of it is necessarily, uh, I guess, quality data. So how how would you kind of, uh, I guess, rate sort of how companies are doing right now when when it comes to data? I think it it, it it is it is highly variable currently, um, and and part of that variability is comes from the maturity of where the company uh, where each company is and in in its cycle uh, on on sustainability assessment. You know, what is their sustainability footprint? Some companies have been doing this because they've been in the public sphere or had stakeholder pressure, <clears throat> whether internal or external, to demonstrate that for a number of years, and so they have implemented systems, but that's the minority. Most companies are still in the realm where they are figuring out, you know, how to collect and, and really totalize their their sustainability footprint. Um, and I think a lot of that is driven by the fact that, you know, you can do some sort of broad brush calculations, but if you really want to get to understanding your footprint, you have to look at your operations systematically. In fact, that's been a lot of what the SEC has now talked about in terms of scope one, scope two, scope three, uh, where emissions, which is your sort of direct, your indirect, and your, your supply chain um, uh, footprint. Um, because depending on how your company is structured and what products and services you deliver, your sustainability footprint may vary a lot. And collecting that information is not necessarily just a snap of the fingers. You have to actually invest in in tools, you know, techniques, methods, and frankly, an operational solution, a digital platform, which we believe is critical in order to verifiably collect and, and track that information. So I think what we actually saw was, you know, you know investors that we surveyed recently, um, the majority of them, I mean, a, 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 a big number of them suggested that um, companies do need to implement strong, solid man data management systems to compile, especially when it comes to sustainability data, but more broadly as well on the ESG side, but specifically on sustainability, because the numbers can come from a variety of different sources, uh, depending on your operational footprint, your you know your products and services mix, um, determining what your your climate uh, footprint is or your sustainability footprint is may not be simple and may require some significant investment in uh, in tools and, and methods to, to to put that together. Uh, and you just mentioned a survey that you recently did. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about about it, like how many people or how many uh, folks were were talked or surveyed, and, and what did you find? Sure. Yeah. So we we surveyed about 770 um, in, in investors uh, um, who were responsible for uh, ESG investing, and and we looked at. We asked them a series of questions around whether they thought that the information that, that they had access to was investment grade, whether it was uh, it was meeting what they would expect in terms of uh, the, the the content and the quality to make uh, good decisions. And I think what we found was that you know 66% of them said that um, you know Fortune Fortune 100 companies collection and usage of ESG data was credible. Um, and 47% said environmental data needs significant improvement. Uh, governance data said they said about 37% said governance data improvement uh, requires improvement. 
and 40% said that social data needs significant improvement. So what you can see is that while you know there are some specific pockets uh, of of uh, needs identified by these investors, we actually put that out as an ebook, uh, so so uh, companies and organizations can see uh, exactly what what the investor group uh, is saying. And and the biggest short shortcoming that they identified, as I said, was the need to implement a comprehensive data management and reporting software solutions in order to improve the quality of their ESG data, which makes a lot of sense because you know you can you can collect information, but how how auditable, how verifiable, how reliable is that information? It it it, it only can come about if you have traceability to uh, uh, to to exactly how you computed that number in in whatever the case may be, whether social data or sustainability data. Um, and how far away are we from universal ESG performance measurement and reporting standards? Um, <laughs> that's of course the the crystal ball question. Um, I, I think I think the, the it's hard hard to say specifically when a universal standard will emerge, but I think it's it's clear that um, we're no longer wondering whether those standards will coalesce. Um, you see, you see in countries across the world, uh, U.S., U.K., Europe, Asia, um, lots of stakeholder pressure, lots of things that are driving the need to collect investment-grade data. But you know, as you pointed out, it's still a complex web of standards. But there is conversion. Um, you know, the SEC, for example, has kicked off you know climate disclosure-related uh, um, standards. You know, that's they're going to model it on TCFD, um, and and they're going to include the GHG protocol, you know, methodologies, so that we can start to standardize, um, you know, the scope one, scope two, scope three. Um, you know, the ISSB um, will start to fill out some some gaps as well. I think what what you're seeing though is because because this is not as you know, I think financial standards took several hundred years to get to where they got to. I don't think it'll take a few hundred years, but I do think it will take uh, probably at least a decade or so. Um, um, and and the, the other two challenges that I see is, unlike financial standards, this is this there are a lot of very complex intricacies in all the different areas. Even if you just take uh, sustainability or carbon footprint alone. Um, it can be quite complex, and you know I think the methodologies that are being put together for scope one, scope two, scope three are a very good step <clears throat> because we can start to really see what is the pressing, you know, uh, most pressing need of the need of the day or need of the decade is is uh, you know carbon and, and climate change uh, reducing the impact of that. So the sooner I think we will see faster movement on that one. Uh, in the next couple of years, uh, because you see a lot of these standards converging, at least on those most important areas. Does it make sense for companies to kind of tackle ESG in phases as opposed to just try and do everything at once? Well, I, I, I absolutely has to be done in phases. Um, you know, I, I, in many respects, to be impactful in, in ESG improvement, it is a culture change, um, and it it truly does require, in many cases, either operational or structural, or or sort of you know as I said, global in many cases cultural changes, and and this is where the ESG process of doing a materiality assessment is also important because 
not everything is equally important to every company, um, but depending on your profile, depending on your stakeholders, depending on the markets you serve, the supply, you know, where, where in the supply chain you are, the countries you serve, all those things have a real bearing and the materiality, if you will, to the relevance of any particular ESG area to you. So if you're if you're in the fossil fuel industry, then I suspect sustainability and climate risk is going to be a big factor because your investors are going to be looking for your statement and your position on it, uh, and what you are doing to to address your the risks that it poses as well as make an impact. But in, you know you might be in an industry where something like community involvement is important, and so you know you should look at that. So I think the materiality process is a very effective way to drive that. And then really <clears throat> staging it in phases has got to be how you really achieve impact because it would be impossible over the breadth of some 600 KPIs uh, to, to make a difference on every single one of them. And I guess, you know, like you were saying, I mean, it must be difficult to just sort of come up with broad standards for all industries. Everything, you know, industries are so different in what they do it almost makes more sense to, to do it, you know, almost to come up with sort of uh, industry groupings. And maybe they're doing this already and I don't know it, but, uh, you know, just because, like you said, there are some different, some businesses are so different than others that it's hard, you know, it's not apples to apples, right? Exactly. And that's one of the one of the reasons why, you know, when we built, we, we recently, for over the last year, we've been in development of our ESG director uh, solution, which is a, a, a SaaS, you know, plug and play configurable uh, uh, solution that we built uh, with about 15 different companies in our charter group, um, helping us figure out how to build a solution that knits together exactly what you just described. How do I find the things that are most important to me by doing my materiality assessment, looking at what matters, and then figuring out, because there's another, exactly as I said, most companies today are not monolithic uh, creatures, if you will. Uh, they are they are they are fairly complex organizations. Some parts of which do service, some parts do uh, production, and you know there's a whole there's a whole you know net of things that everybody does um, across different business segments, across different world regions, perhaps, or, or even within you know within a state across different locations. So what our solution or what our tool does is allows you to take your organization hierarchy, build that into your structure, look at what KPIs, what ESG KPIs are relevant in each place, collect your data intelligently, and then look within the system, you know, we have benchmarks. So for example, you can take your industry sector and say, what are other companies like mine doing? Because if you're if you're putting it out in the marketplace, your investors are gonna say, what are your peer companies doing? How do you rate compared to them? Because if we wanna invest in a company in this space, then, you know, if our thesis is we think this particular, you know, industry sector is worth worthy of our investments, then we want to pick the most, the company that's best, has best performance or has the best plan for improved uh, ESG sustainability uh, performance. So then they're going to look at a specific subset of KPIs and they're going to match, compare you to those, probably because of materiality, probably because of relevance. And so, you know, we're, we, we, we're putting in all that data so that you can at a glance, pull an industry sector and see all the KPIs that most people in your industry sector are reporting and how you can then com compare yourself to them, which is, of course, a little challenging because we got to look at it in terms of normalized uh, sort of intensity numbers, right? Because you got to look at it by 
by widget produced or by service hours or whatever right. it is, because we've got to normalize it so you can compare yourself. Uh, but again, all of those things are doable. We just need a structure, and that's really what we've been uh, working with our subscriber group uh, in, in building ESG Director to do, because it's taking your organization, understanding your footprint, figuring out who are your, your key owners, collecting that information, and then allowing you to compare yourself to your peers. And then I imagine there's also the challenge of, of explaining sort of how that, you know, explaining that to the public, uh, to whether it's shareholders or, or whoever, um, you know, why this is, you know, where this sort of ranks you and sort of what you need to do and what you are doing. Exactly. I think one of the, and one of the things that our subscriber group, this charter group that helped us pull this thing together, really told us and advised us about is, there's the collection of this information, which is in itself quite challenging because you can have a very cross-functional group of people, uh, organizations within the functions within the enterprise that are responsible. But once I collect that data and I compile it and put it together, I then have to craft a message around what does that mean? What is our, you know, this is where the C-suite comes in to play, has to make some sort of decisions around investments and 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 positioning uh, how are you talking about what your esg footprint today looks like and what you are doing to improve it or enhance it or you know uh, sort of influence it into the future um and i and i think that's that's really where the the the, the rubber meets the road because the data are there to support you know good management decisions internally a good messaging to be able to share that story, as you said, with your stakeholders, and then get the feedback of those stakeholders, and then allow yourself to be represented in the peer group as a benchmark company. Um, is is really what our 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 goal is to enable our subscribers to represent themselves as the benchmark for ESG performance in their industry sector. And obviously, you know, you mentioned investment grade data, ESG data. I mean, that's that's really what you're you know, kind of driving people towards sort of sifting out the, the really quality data from the rest of that massive, uh, you know, collection that you do. Exactly. I think what we are, what we would like, what we are aiming to do is to enable companies to establish a system of record, if you will, where they can track how they compile the data, where they got it from, how they put it together, then the positioning and the messaging and then the tracking of it over time, because you know this the point of the ESG impact is not a once and done exercise, hardly. You know, this is your people a company is going to be measured not just on their on their profile today, but where they're going towards, what commitments they're doing. A lot of a lot of companies, for example, are talking about net zero by twenty thirty. Um, well, how do you get there? And how do you demonstrate that you are getting there? Because right now it's a good soundbite. Um, and it certainly can be very effective. But in a couple of years, th that same soundbite is going to be translated into or going to be looked at with a healthy level of skepticism unless right. you can demonstrate that you are making some progress and that you're, you know, you might have made only 10% progress, but your plan is to make significant progress over the next few years or whatever it is. How do you demonstrate that? Well, unless you have a system that, that is tracking this investment grade quality data you're not going to be able to make those statements, you know, credibly and, and, and receive the kind of feedback that you want from the, from your stakeholders or the investment group. 
And, you know, you mentioned reducing the carbon footprint, and obviously that's a another kind of uh, buzz phrase that, you know, corporations are using. But um, you know, how much of a challenge is that? And, you know, where, you know, where things are right now, how, how much farther are we going to have to go to get there? It seems like it's a long, long ways off. Um, yeah, I, I think, yes, it is definitely a challenge. What you see, though, is we are getting closer to some, at least some public or, or some macro tipping points. Um, I think I just read last week, or I think it was the last couple of weeks, I saw that that solar and wind for the first time topped uh, coal, um, and uh, um, I think natural gas is still is still number one, but you know they certainly passed coal. Um, so you can you can already start seeing at a macro level that renewable energy sources, and we're seeing that because a, a good portion of our subscriber group actually is renewable energy companies, and so you can we can we are seeing that in a microcosm ourselves. Uh, just in terms of our industries that we serve. But I, I, I think those trends taken more broadly and being driven by companies making these type of net zero commitments and et cetera are really what is going to drive us. Now, there are going to be challenges with respect to companies that are truly, you know, if you're, if you're actually in the business of cracking petroleum to make <laughs> plastics, that's going to be a challenge. Right. Um, but I think you could potentially offset those there are lots of creative things that you can do um, that in the, at least in the next few years will will set the trend right. Um, but I, you know, I'm 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 at least uh, I, I was I was kind of heartened to see that tipping point because it is you know five years ago or even ten years ago I'd never thought that that would that that tipping point would happen that you know a certain day in April of of 2022, wind and solar were more than uh, coal. Um, that, that's a, that's a nice, at least that's gratifying. Now, is it soon enough for us to make the change, right. you know, in terms of temperature rise? I don't know, <laughs> but at least <laughs> we're moving in the right direction. So, um, and, and you, I mean, you must be hardened by the fact that ESG is kind of, you know, a lot more top of mind now than it was even a couple of years ago. I mean, I, you know, it seems like every time I turn around, uh, you know, it's, it's being discussed. So, I mean, that's gotta be, uh, at least you know, uh, I guess a positive development that, you know, more and more companies are taking it seriously. Absolutely. You know, I think, and one of the reasons why we, we did our rebrand and our refocus on ESG was, you know, we'd spent 20 years, you know, me and many of my peers who have collectively worked both in my GE days and then since GE, since launching Gen Suite, you know, from 2010 to 2020, we worked with so many functional leaders working on operational compliance, you know, in the EHS space, quality space, sustainability, and really did some of the heavy lifting associated with building the programs, you know, implementing the systems, the management systems that that enable effective performance. But it was a it was a toil with a very sort of narrow lens, which was, you know, what is you know, it was you know viewed as a cost center in many cases. Um, and and it, and and I think we did it with a with a passion because we believe in the mission of of uh, you know having employees work safely and you know being environmentally compliant and having a, as limited a footprint as possible. I, I think what what is exciting to see is that the ESG space turned everything on its head because it became societally virtuous. Yeah. Um, and when it became societally virtuous. 
people said, well, when we're going to work with our investment dollars um, and, and, and then move. And, you know, we've always said in the EHS space that management commitment is the number one thing that's the difference between success and failure. If management's committed, then all the other stuff will flow. If management is not committed, then we can all do all the, all the work we want, but, you know, it'll only come up to a certain level. It's not right. going to give you world-class performance. And I think what you're seeing is ESG drivers give you management commitment because now the C-suite cares. If you, you know, the difference of 0.1%, you know, a one-point change in your credit uh, cost of credit, it can make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that alone, and then, of course, all the other measures that are in place from an ESG perspective, uh, stake external stakeholders, what your supply chain thinks of you, what Walmart or Amazon or or GM think of you if you're in those respective supply chains, uh, can start to really make a difference. Um, and of course, your NGOs, your communities, your employees, all of those things are, are helping. And the reason why we did the rebrand was we felt that from an EHS perspective, everything we had learned about how to make it operationally effective is now something we can apply in the ESG space because ultimately ESG performance will be delivered by making culture change very much like EHS. We truly believe that. It's about systems. It's about management systems. It's about digital systems. It's about getting everybody engaged in achieving that virtuous result and then being able to share that effectively and and track it over time. I mean, there's no secret how EHS performance is delivered. It's hard work, but it's it's not a secret. Um, And I think the same thing's true on the the ESG side. We, We really think that we don't need to relearn you know, it took 25 years to learn those lessons on the EHS side. I don't think it should require that long on the ESG side because we have lots of great best practices that, that many of us as functional professionals can bring to the table uh, to drive ESG much faster. Well, sounds like we're moving in the right direction at least. So, so that's a good thing. Uh, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. No, it's an exciting time. You're absolutely right. And it's it's heady times if you're an EHS professional and now are asked to be, you know, participate in uh, in taking the company's ESG program to the next level. So thank you for this opportunity to share what we're doing to contribute and we're excited to be part of that, of that mission um, that's all around us today. All right, thanks so much. That wraps up episode 109 of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time.